You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody, which will be for your Saturday show um, until the high school football season in Ohio ends. And let's hope for Pete and all the kids from Streetsboro. That's very, very late in December. Um, we'll be recording your pregame shows on, you know, sometimes Saturdays. We'll be getting those done for the most part. Uh, for today, for your local experts on the biggest stories, Stephen Thomas along for the ride. It's been a while at Brown's Mock Draft. Looking forward to this, of course, as always. Stephen Thomas, Jeff Lloyd for your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. Uh, Steve, first thing I want to get to is because you were in the house Monday night and honestly just talking with people there, and it was nice. I, I, I had people – I was giving away tickets. People were literally funning, funneling me tickets. Like, dude, I only have 300 followers on Twitter. Dude, so I don't care. Get somebody to get these tickets. So here I am just, you know, ticket broker. Thanks, guys. I didn't make a dime, but whatever. Here I am helping everybody out. Um, but it was no doubt about it. I mean, in, in the fact that it wasn't in Cleveland meant nothing. Um, it was quite the, the spectacle, Stephen. And obviously, even with the disappointment of week one, uh, those brownies, they traveled. Oh, there was lots of brown and orange. Um, it was, there were more, more than a handful of here we go brownies chants, uh, and they did not get shouted down, um, both in the parking lot ahead of time and uh, in the stadium. I mean, and just in the section where we were, I, I'm not going to say 50-50, but it was fairly close. It was probably 35% Browns fans, um, and it was damn loud. Uh for when we came out and uh, every time we made a play, uh, it, it was fun to be there. It was fun to be there. It was my first time at MetLife Stadium, which, uh, you know, you as a, a New York fan, obviously, you know, everybody likes the old New York stadiums with all the character and all that. Obviously, it doesn't have the character of, of you know, Yankee Stadium or, or any of that kind of stuff. But a damn nice facility. I'm not sure if you've been there or not. Oh, of course. Yeah, well, I mean, the modern ofness is fantastic. The issue is, is when you built something that big and beautiful – it loses the allure because it's how it's like two people, two families sharing a house. And that's the weirdest part about it. And what I, concert venue, it's off the wall, but you go there for football and it's just the weirdest feeling because it doesn't really feel enough like either team's home. Yeah. It, it's a little like, and this is a problem, you know, this isn't just a MetLife stadium thing. This is a lot of the new ones, a little sterile, you know, a little, yep. you know, it just doesn't have the nooks and crannies and, I mean, you know, for us in Cleveland that are old enough to remember that old dank dungeon with the painted green dirt, we loved it. But I mean, even, you know, First Energy, which is not a particularly great stadium, even that just as a facility is light years better. But the but the old place it had the character. And I was surprised how bad the Wi-Fi situation was. I was trying to post uh, updates and little videos that I was taking from our seats and everything, you know, like people do when we go to Browns games and Browns Twitter. And I just I couldn't get anything to load. I was a little bit surprised about that, but it was fun. Uh, There's an airport. This. There's an airport next door. That's the yeah, issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I was a little disappointed. I have to say this. Uh, um, my first game in New York as a visiting fan, uh, I was expecting to be harassed a lot more <laughs> than I was. There was no <laughs> of that. None of that trademark, uh, you know, New York obnoxiousness and and. Nobody threw beer at us and everything. I was like, what the hell? Everybody's nice. What the hell is going on here? Um, but the guys in our section, <coughs> there was a lot of commiserating of, you know, how bad both franchises have been over the decades. And they were nice and they were fun and everything. Um, it, was, it was funny. It got to be 23 to 3. And uh, they were all starting to file out. And uh, my dad and my brother and I and the other Browns fans in the section, we're, 
we were like, where are you guys going? It's only 23 to three. You know, that, that Cleveland mentality waiting yep. for the, the cartoon anvil to drop on us. We were like, you guys shouldn't leave. There's six minutes left. Anything could happen. Um, but it was cool. It was very, it was, it was a spectacle. Uh, Le'Veon Bell is amazing live. Um, and, like, and like I told you, it never even looks like he's moving full speed. That's oh. the scariest part of him. He was one on five on at least half a dozen occasions and fought at least to, to a stand. <clears throat> he won a few of those, you know, and ended up picking up seven yards. And he, he's, he's amazing. Baker Live is amazing. O, Odell, I got to tell you, on, yep. that, on the 90-yard touchdown, um, we knew he was fast. Obviously, we knew he was fast. But he hit a gear that I, even I didn't know he had. I mean, he ran away from those DBs, and uh, only Ratley was keeping up with him, and Ratley was a, basically a track guy. Um, and then seeing that one-handed catch live was just <laughs> – I mean, you know, you, you, go to, you go to a Monday Night Football game with Odell, you want to see a long touchdown, and you want to see a circus one-handed catch. And I got to see them both, and it was just amazing. Um, well, the funniest thing is, is that catch came – the catch that put him on the map against the Dallas Cowboys – I mean, he was literally about four to five yards from that exact spot. So, you know, and I, I was almost waiting, and I wanted it for it in the postgame presser with, um, you know, because there was the one years ago where Dion went back to the Georgia Dome and opened up the press conference after the long intercept. This is my house. Yeah. And I was hoping Odell was going to go with that. Um, maybe it was just the one part of history he didn't get to. But, I mean, I, that was the one thing I knew. Like, I mean, even as poorly as they played week one, Odell wasn't going into that building, and it wasn't obviously wasn't playing the Giants, but he was letting the other tenants of that building know this is what you screwed up on. Yeah, yeah, and they let him know early on, early and often that they, even though it was the Jets and not the Giants, they didn't like him very much. The booze when he came out, even just for you know before the official team warmups, when it was just the specialists and a couple other guys running around and jogging, they were raining booze on him. Um, so, yeah, he was definitely motivated, and um, he made – it was funny walking out uh, because they had the post-game – the Jets post-game radio show playing over the loudspeakers, and it was eerily familiar to what we have walked out listening to in Cleveland for, you know, 20 years. It, every caller, I'm sick of them with the false promises. We need to tear it down again. They need to fire this guy. They need to cut that guy. It was – we were laughing about it because it was just – it was the exact same things that we've said for 20 years, just Jets instead of Browns. It, it, apparently, it's universal throughout the league. When your team gets whooped on, on, uh, on uh, a national stage, everybody calls and just goes crazy. So it was fun to be on the other end of that. We've, we've walked out of enough Browns games in my lifetime angry and pissed off uh, that it was nice to go out a 20-point winner uh, in, in a beautiful night uh, on Monday Night Football like that. It, it was a great experience. It was fantastic. Well, it was even funny, though, just talking with some Jets fans, and a lot of them were like, yeah, the crowd the crowd had Sam Darnold's mono as well. I mean, and it, it didn't help when then Simeon went down. And, you know, to be honest, I mean, Falk actually looked better than, than Simeon did. I mean, they, if they had kept Simeon in there, that probably would have about 67 and nothing. I don't think it would ever matter to anything. Uh, but, obviously, guys, you, get, you got the vibe there. You got the first hand. And, and, look, it's, you know, it's not that the Browns didn't travel well beforehand, but, you know, with promise and more, you're going to get more people that are going to want to do this stuff. I mean, you know, if you have an opportunity, NYC is always somewhere people want to hit up. And if there's a way to catch a Browns game in there, of course. I mean, it's, you know, it's set up all perfectly. And the best part is, and I know you brought this up, Steve, is even where he was like, wow, well, this wasn't really good. That could have been better. 
eh, that could have been better. But you're talking about a Browns 20-point win. So at the end of the day, you're going to put your feather into that one here. we got more to get to here with Steven here. But uh, as you guys know, um, today's Locked On Browns is sponsored by Packed Car Insurance. Here's a question I've always wondered. Why do you have to pay for the insurance on your car when you're not always using it? We're in an era now where people commute for work. Or on the weekends, it's Ubers, it's Lyfts. So why do you have to pay for your car insurance if you're not always using it? This is where Pact Insurance comes in. If you get the Pact uh, Auto Insurance app, they get you free quotes. Um, they'll update your policy for free as it fits your needs. And now you can pause your coverage, which is the greatest thing. I mean, this era, everybody's trying to save a couple of bucks. If you're not driving your car, you shouldn't have to worry about it being insured if it's sitting in your driveway. So available on both iPhone and Android. Go to PactAuto.com. That's P-A-C-T Auto.com and start imagining the pause abilities. Thanks to the folks over at Pact for their sponsorship of Locked On Browns. Uh, Steven, I don't know how you're feeling. I don't know how I'm feeling. Um, I don't have any reps in me. I don't think you have any reps in you. Um, but this, this, where we are, and obviously you know, the news today, guys, obviously late in the day, David Najoku's been moved to injured reserve. Um, and I got a lot of questions on this. You can still bring two players back from injured reserve. There is no such thing anymore as designated to return. They, if they are out eight weeks, they are good to go and you haven't brought anybody back yet, you can bring back one. You can bring back two players. That's the way the IR and the designation and all that stuff works now. It does give you a little bit more flexibility as to you know, elevate guys from the practice squad. It's obviously tough to lose David Njoku. The Justin Burris signing, and, and I'm not going like, to sit here and be like, wow, you just brought in a Hall of Famer. But it worked out really well, Stephen, in the fact that here's a guy you can get in who knows your system. And it looks like, for all intents and purposes, they're going to need him. And he played pretty well. And if it weren't for the fact that Jermaine Whitehead played some good ball in March and April, because he really hasn't done much yet to this point, Justin Burris maybe had a shot here. But this is, it's, you know, it's not a, a huge, huge move, but it's one where you can actually bring him in. If you got to use him, you know he at least knows the playbook. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, you know, a shining up a bad apple, however you want to put on it. You know, I mean, it's the best of a bad situation. If you have to bring somebody in, uh, somebody that knows the playbook, you're not going to have to worry about him getting confused. And, uh, you know, he's, he played aggressive in the preseason. Like you said, he made some splash plays. Again, it's preseason, doesn't always translate. But if you're going to sign somebody off the street that you may well have to use 48 hours from now, this is about as good as the situation gets. And the, that Injury report today is, I mean, somebody tweeted it looked like a CVS receipt, and I think that's about yep. the best analogy that I can find. It's just crazy. And I, I'm hoping, and I have a gut feeling that a lot of them, it, it's a mon it was after a Monday night game, yep. and it's precautionary. It's more rest. It's more, you know what I mean? Like, like, uh, Plus, they have no idea. To ha they, this, is, I mean, this is new territory. It's Freddie. Freddie doesn't know anything about Monday Night Football. This franchise doesn't know anything about Monday Night Football. So, you know, there is some, and, you know, maybe this is the cross your fingers approach we're all using here, but maybe it is just, hey, look, even if you're not feeling 100%, it is only, you know, obviously two weeks into it. You know, I worry about Sunday. I ain't worried about, I ain't worried about Friday. Right. And the general, the unspoken rule is if a guy doesn't practice Friday, that usually means he's out on Sunday. And so if somebody is 
out Friday, usually you will see a tweet from the team or an, uh, from um, one of the, the beat reporters or something like that. Not official, but officially so-and-so is out. And we haven't seen that at all for Ward and Greedy and a couple of these other guys. So I'm, I may be, like you said, I may be overly optimistic, but I'm hoping that that's the case. I'm hoping that, especially with the few extra hours of it being Sunday night instead of Sunday at, at 1 o'clock, you know, they're game time decisions, but I'm, I'm expecting most of these guys to go uh, at this point. Anybody that's questionable, I'm expecting them to at least start the game and then we'll see what happens at that point. Well, there, and there's the double advantage here. There's still two more sleeps and wake ups where you're right. going to be seen by your staff. If they were on the road, you know, you're walking in tomorrow, it's well, you're good enough to get on a plane. You're not good enough to get on a plane, man. Go home. We'll talk to you on Monday morning. Right. Um, so you have that advantage, and that's where you get it at questionable. Um, look, even if you could j- get one of Greedy and Denzel, you'll take it. Um, Morgan Burnett, I can't even believe I'm saying this because there were times we thought, you know, maybe he would even make this final one. But I, I, I think he's been good in his role to this point. Obviously, you'd love yeah, to have him. Uh, Chris Hubbard, ah, uh, Chris Hubbard doesn't start, and, and it's, you know, okay. I mean, we'll deal with it, you know, and even apparently now ESPN has this new advanced offensive lineman stat, which – all right, you know, everybody's trying – it's almost like everybody's trying to make some sort of stat to a positional group that'll solidify what they want They want it to. Um, look, you know, for us to watch Chris Hubbard down for 18 games, um, you know, I think, you know, it's almost like Kaiser Sose. One of the greatest tricks he ever pulled was getting somebody to pay a big money because in small glimpses, he looked like he was going to be good. And then when you're like, oh, wow, full-time, eh, maybe not. All right, maybe swing was your game. Um, so, you know, that's not the one that's really too concerning with me. And, look, if you're still in a walking boot, yeah, uh, that, that's, probably, that's probably not a good sign. But here's things I'm trying to – look, if this offense is supposed to be what it's supposed to be, Stephen, you can play week in, week out with anybody in this NFL. Why did right. you dominate – and, look, yes, it was a second-string quarterback. Yes, it was a third-string quarterback. But they dominated the New York Jets on Monday night because the defensive line is a bunch of badass SOBs. That doesn't mean it can't apply again this week. Um, hopefully, you know, I, I, I think they're going to be forced to dress Jannard Avery, which will be nice. But, I mean, you got a bunch Thank of guys God. that can create havoc in the backfield. You know, e- you know even if you are without some of these guys, it's, it, you can't have this woe is me mentality. Otherwise, you're basically trying to, you know, tell it to yourself that you never believed in what this product was going to be anyway. Exactly. Yeah, I think there's still enough talent out there, um, especially, you know, at the at the so-called glamour positions that, you know, I mean, Miles Garrett can dominate a game by himself. I mean, uh, if the interior guys start pushing like they like they can, I mean, uh, Vernon hasn't shown up in the stat sheet, but he has been doing his job. Uh, Joe Schobert has been fantastic. I thought Kirksey was really good on Monday night. He caused a lot of plays. He may not have made a lot of plays. I was surprised. But he was causing, yeah, he was causing cutbacks and things of that nature. But the most important thing for Kirksey was his, and and I was telling people this, he hasn't moved this well in the two years I covered this team. That was the most impressive thing through week one and two. Now, did they? Uh, I know there. I saw something about Willie Harvey earlier. Did they officially call him up, or is or is that still just rumored? I'm assuming that's I, the thing with Kirksey, and you know, I, I tried to. T- I said to you guys last night. It seems like it's a pec issue, and it, look, it, the thing is, is if it's surgery, if it's surgery, he goes to IR. Whether or not he can come back, most likely, guys, in that scenario, he's not coming back. Right. Um. But you know, look, they love Christian. Christian's always on everything for this thing. He's he is. He bleeds brown and orange. 
He was the biggest cheerleader of this team last year once they tried to find success. It would be really tough for them to put him on injured reserve knowing he's not coming back. And the other part is knowing he's probably never coming back to this team. Um, But there could be – I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that domino falls either later tonight or tomorrow where it's – if Christian Kirksey goes to IR and it's going to be Willie Harvey and that really may put a end to Christian Kirksey's run in Cleveland, which is terrible, but I've heard some rumblings that it is tending that way. Yeah, I've heard the same things. And, you know, the Willie Harvey call-up would be this sort of in the same boat as we talked about Justin Burris before. I mean, you know, at least, you know, he's been around the team. You're not signing a guy off the street. Although I wouldn't be surprised or I wouldn't be opposed uh, to them grabbing Trey Watson and putting him on the practice squad if they call up Willie Harvey. But that's neither here or there. Um, Willie, Willie Harvey, 414 career college tackles. I'll find a spot for you somewhere on special teams. Yeah, he's, he's at minimum, he's not going to, you know, embarrass you. The guy, the guy played pretty well in the preseason. I think he, he only didn't make the 53 because of a numbers game. It's not like he wasn't good enough to make it. I really liked what he did. So, I mean, he's not, he's not Kirko. I've been a Kirko fan since they drafted him. I didn't like all the bashing of him or Schobert the last couple of years. But, you know, but I think the, the guy can come in and play. Uh, it, 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 it's all going to – the Browns' chances Sunday night, in my opinion, are going to come down to two things. One, like you said, the defensive line has to disrupt the timing of this offense uh, because they are very much uh, reliant on their timing. Um, and if the front four or front seven and Gennard or whatever, however many you want to throw at them, can get there, uh, they can disrupt this offense and, and hold them down to a manageable number. And two, it's going to be can they adjust? It's been two games now. Can they adjust on offense? Because yes, the offensive line has made some mistakes, especially in that first, when they were down to what were fourth, our fourth tackle, you know, a guy who had mm-hmm. never played tackle in the Tennessee game or whatever. I kind of throw that one out the window last week was more. I think what we actually are. Greg Robinson was average on the left side, which is what he is. And then I think that's good enough. Chris Hubbard, even live, I could tell was just not, what not what you need so if they can hold up and baker can take the shorter routes he needs to get the ball out of his hands i am about the 80th person to say this this week but it's part of his nature here's here's what i say about this i I, you know i'm a huge gunslinger guy i would rather have a gunslinger and with the gunslinger with the aggressiveness with the always wanting to take the deep shots and make the chunk plays you're going to have to live with some of the negative aspects of that which is some forced ball interceptions and occasionally holding on to the ball too long and causing a quarterback sack, uh, a quarterback caused sack. That's just part of the deal. But there has been too much of it. There were at least half a dozen times just watching live in the stadium on Monday night that I saw uh, uh, Nick Chubb or Dearness Johnson or, you know, Njoku before he got hurt or whoever it was in like the eight to 10 yard range, Baker got flushed out and they're all by themselves. And he waited two or three more steps too long and then tried to force him the ball and it got knocked away or incomplete or whatever. Take the eight yards. Eight yards is, is totally acceptable. You know, especially when you're throwing it to a guy like a Nick Chubb who can take the eight yards and turn it into to 25 in a heartbeat. Take it, you know. Um, it, it, it's not in Baker's nature to do that, but he did it a lot in the second half of last year and I thought he had overcome it. And I think he needs to do that far more because if you do it, Part of the book that, they, that the NFL, in my opinion, what the NFL put a book together on Baker the last half of last year, part of that is to take away the chunk plays because that's what he wants. 
He's always made him his entire career. He loves to go for the throat. So they're doing that. Make him beat you with the eight to 10 yard underneath stuff. And it hurts him to do it. But if you do it three, four or five times, now they're going to cheat up a little bit and you're going to open up a crease on that back end. And as Odell has proved over and over and over, Bingo. he doesn't need much of a crease. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be literally a crease that he can get through, and then you can get that chunk play. I mean, I'm not saying anything genius here. He's just – he has to actually put it into practice. And I think if he does that, if he takes Nick Chubb in the flat, if he takes, uh, you know, Demetrius Harris or whoever's at tight end, Ricky Sales jones at the eight-yard curl, you know, or the, the scramble player, whatever it is, in that underneath zone a couple of times in the first half – now we're going to be looking like the offense we all thought they were going to be, and we're going to be looking at a 30-27 to 27 game, which I think is something that they can win against this team. Um, the, there's a lot of other things that have gone into it, but I think that for Baker is the biggest thing. I don't buy this he's con been confused crap, this, that nope. narrative. I think it's garbage. I mean, he was 22 out of 29 for three quarters through Tennessee. Uh, it, he, he, it's not that he was confused. He didn't take what they were giving him because it's not in his nature. He loves to rip your throat out on every single play. And you just can't do that in the NFL. You've got to take the short gains every so often. And I think he's going to do that. From the, hearing him talk, hearing Freddie talk in the pressers this week, uh, the NFL is all about adapting and then adapting to the other team. Adapt or die. And I think with two games in the books, they see what's going on. Everything that I've, that I've heard them say says they're addressing it, and I really, really think we're going to see it come Sunday night. Um, and it's, it's twofold. Um, the thing is, you know, as opposed to college, you don't get the amount of ABs, drives, in the NFL that you right. do in college. So it was okay to get away with it there. And it's the other one of, like, it's, you know, Baker, you know, we don't want you to hit 260 and hit 50 home runs. How about you hit 290 and hit 35 home runs? Look, take those singles. Right. Three, two, bases are loaded, two outs. Don't go yard. You know, just keep the chains moving. Yeah. And we talked about it. I know it was the Charger game last year. You go to any of the bad games, the Charger game last year. You go to the Titan game. You go to the last one against the Ravens. And this is, Texans. you know, he knows this. You know, I mean, the Texans with the three. I mean, the Texans, the Chargers, the Chiefs, the, the second Ravens game, all of those. That's when it came into play. And this is kind of what you brought Odell here for. Yep. Um, it doesn't have to be a five-yard completion. This is why we got you a star where even though he catches it at five yards, it may be <laughs> 19, 20, 90. Exactly. Um, so just just breathe, take what's given to you. Um, we'll get to a little bit more here uh, with Steven, obviously. Uh, guys, tons, and Steven likes to make the jokes all the time. Um, I, I, do we have any T-shirt companies in the Ohio area doing anything <laughs> Browns? Um, but as you guys know, uh, my buddies, uh, Zabo Apparel, absolutely love them. Uh, I love the fact that I was connected through uh, some players with the Browns directly in their families of, hey, you know, you got to check these guys out. Uh, uh, former veteran, well, actually always a veteran, I'm sorry, um, putting out great apparel, a lot of heart and effort and everything, just really good people. Uh, they actually now have the new Scottish Hammer T-shirt out. Uh, but check out the uh, folks over at Zabo Apparel. I'm going to – look, we haven't been able to put out a predict the score t-shirt in two weeks. So tomorrow we're going to do – I'm going to put out a tweet and we're going to do this two ways. We'll do the predict the score. And I'm going to put out three over-unders on players. All you got to do is guess yes or no. Whoever goes three for three, the first one who goes three for three, and the first one who gets the score right. Uh, take them some Zabo apparel and obviously, uh, it was appreciate the uh, folks over at Zabo for all they do. And obviously, you know, for a little partnership here 
with Locked On Brown. Steven, we can't put this to bed, and we can't sit down and break a little bread. And it's not like the old days where it was, uh, yeah, did you see the Browns game? Yeah, it was good. All right, let's talk draft. Um, it's a little bit, a little bit different nowadays. Um, but, you know, for me, obviously, it's been since September 2nd, it has just been the most hectic period of my life. I'll, I'll admit I'm watching. Um, you know, quarterback to catch my eye. Everybody seems on the big two. I kind of like Eason at Washington. I loved him when he was at Georgia. Position I'm not really worried about. And I also do want to remind you guys about this one here. Um, we told you if there was ever going to be a guy we thought could maybe back up Baker Mayfield during the 2019 draft, Gardner Minshew. Everybody seems to be loving that one and sticking up that team now. So remember where you heard that on Locked on Browns. <laughs> Steven, I know you're in. I, I know you're watching. Uh, give me some thoughts here. You know, obviously maybe some early, maybe some later round, you know, sleeper names and, you know, maybe not the Bill Carroll way of, have you seen the guy at West Wyoming uh, slash tech <laughs> veterinarian school who's a six foot three, 195 wide out who runs a four four forty. God bless Bill. Uh, 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 Bill is the absolute best. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and he turns, he turns me on to guys every year that end up being, big, you know, big-time draft picks and players. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously at this point, everybody's talking about, uh, you know, tackle and or interior offensive line. That that's, appears to be, at this point, pre-free agency, the – undoubtedly where they're going to go. And we, and people forget we have a first, a second and two thirds. So there's an opportunity in this class, which all of the, all of the big draft names that I trust and have learned to trust over the years are saying is going to be a great offensive line draft. Uh, we have the, the ability, the potential ability to address a lot of needs for a long time. Um, obviously I don't think we're going to be in the position to draft uh, Andrew Thomas or Tristan Wirfs um, or, or those guys. I mean, unless this season just, you know, somebody takes a grenade to it, we're going to be, you know, between 20 and 25 would be my guess. We're looking at more of, if you're going in the first round, that's where, you know, a Lucas Nyang or, or a Walker Little or, or somebody like that is more in that range or an Alaric Jackson or uh, a guy that I like. Uh, a lot of people still haven't listed as a guard, but Alex Leatherwood uh, at Alabama, I think would be a great pick. Uh, in that range. Um, if all of the tackles that you like are gone, or if they make a trade or free agency for one, Creed Humphrey would be an amazing pick uh, in that range. But some of the guys uh, a little further down, uh, you're talking about uh, uh, Liam Eikenberg at Notre Dame, who's a real stud, I think, and has a chance Saturday in Georgia to, to showcase himself and, and maybe jump up a little bit. Although, as a side note, as a, as a Golden Domer, I am really not looking forward to that. I think they're going to get whopped between the hedges. That's just my opinion. Um, but then a little further down, you're looking at a guy like Colton McKivitz uh, at West Virginia, uh, Ezra Cleveland at Boise State. And one of my personal favorites is Scott France uh, at Kansas State. And sadly, the only reason I can find for him being considered you know, early day three at this point is his sexuality he came out as gay and unfortunately in this nfl that's some teams are going to knock him down for that because they think he's going to be quote a locker room distraction i think that's crap to be honest with you but from the browns perspective if that knocks him down to a place where they can grab a you know an alex leatherwood or an alaric jackson in the first round and then and then grab him in the third round that would work out perfectly because and but also think about this though you think about 
a guy like Miles Garrett, who is essentially just a big old stinking nerd. Um, yeah. oh, so he's gay? This is an issue? Right, yeah, exactly. I mean, th- this could be a place where your star player says, guys, who the hell cares? Exactly. We're all a bunch of freaking weirdos anyway. So, you know, not that obviously that denotates that, but it, no, we're all different. We're all a bunch of different personalities. So this is just one more to add to the mix. Yeah, and Miles would know him because Scott Francis yep. is most famous for being the guy that, quote, shut down Miles Garrett in the bowl game a couple of years ago. The kid can, from what I've read and from what I've seen, there are very few, if any, holes in his game. So the reason that he's ranked in the hunt between 100 and 150 on so many boards at this point, I, I can't imagine it's anything else other than those questions. NFL about- feedback. Yeah, exactly. And so it's unfortunate for the young man because he's probably going to have to deal with it for like four straight months once the process starts. But from the Browns perspective, purely from a team building perspective, hey, that could work out because they could steal him because the kid's an absolute stud as far as I'm concerned. Um, the other position that people are talking about, uh, tight end and safety, I, we're not, again, we're not going to be in a position probably to draft the Grant Delpits or the Xavier McKinney's. You're looking at a, you know, if they go in the second round, maybe a, a Reggie Floyd or a Brandon Jones, uh, Antron, Antron Brooks at Maryland. And these are really good players. The two guys at California, you get them in the second or third round, those are great safeties right there if they choose to move on from Demarius or, and everything else. Um, and, and as far as tight end goes, it's such a tough position uh, to, uh, to, to project. I mean, uh, I don't think they're going to be around for a Bryson Hopkins or a Jared Pigney. I think they're going to go earlier than we'll be picking. So you're looking at maybe a Hunter Bryant uh, or a Colby Parkinson at Stanford. Um, if you want to go way down uh, the list, a couple of guys that I like that are currently day three, Joey, Mag- Joey Magnifico at Memphis is putting up some stuff. Mitchell Wilcox at South Florida uh, is putting up some, uh, some good numbers early. Those are some names to keep an eye on. Um, and, and everything else, it, it's really funny because you look at it, you and I, I mean, we've done those draft programs for two years now, and you can throw a rock and hit a guy that fits a need at the Browns. Now it's not that case. Nope. If they grab a couple of tackles and a tight end and a safety on day one and day two, you're looking at your day three picks going, well, what the hell do we do now? I mean, you, you can, you can yep. draft anything, and you're looking at a backup. Not I mean, even best player available, best athlete available, because usually it, the athletes win. Exactly. You could go for a guy like an Antonio Gandy-Golden, even though you don't need a wide receiver, and stash him for a year. You could go with Reggie Corbin at Illinois, who's a guy we both like at, at running back, or a couple of edge guys, Bryce Huff at Memphis, or Alex Highsmith at Charlotte, who are putting up big numbers, and the draft community loves them. And the general public doesn't really know about them yet. They're 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 uh, pretty low down on most of the draft boards. These are just you know some names to to maybe you know throw into your lists and keep an eye on and maybe watch for highlights and stuff like that because it's September. I mean you know God knows what'll happen uh, by April uh, if there's a big trade. If we make a trade here in the next you know six weeks before the trade deadline and then of course free agency is coming around. There's just not a lot out there uh, as far as trade or free agency at least that I can see. Um, unless you're talking about the huge ticket guys like a Jalen Ramsey or somebody like that, that I can see. I mean, normally in this situation, what I do is I look for who's in the last year of their deal and see if their team is tanking, you know, having a bad year. Maybe they'll try to move on from them. And the only, even at that, the only guys I can see that fit that are the two guys 
in, uh, in Green Bay, the two tackles in Green Bay, Brian Balaga and David Bakhtiari. And are they going to – they're 2-0. and You know, so unless they fall on their face in the next month or Aaron Rodgers gets hurt or something like that, I, I can't see them moving on from those guys. I mean, if they had started out 2-5 and five or something like that, Bulaga's 31, maybe they would move on from him since he's in the last year of his deal. But at this point, I, I really don't see anybody out there uh, unless you're looking at like maybe a Donald Penn as a one-year stopgap for a late pick from Washington or something like that because the guy can still play. I, I really don't think there's, there's a lot out there as far as the trade market or the free agent market. I think you're looking at this deep tackle class um, so it matches up, but you're looking at 2020. You're not looking at this year for that. So it's, it's a strange position that John Dorsey's in. Um, but I think overall, if you're looking at the long-term plan, it's a good position uh, as far as the draft matching up to our needs coming up here in nine months. And the other thing is, is you have to find some way for some guys at controllable contract numbers right. to play some of these key positions. Um, you know, uh, there's a buttload of guys here to get paid. There's probably not enough money to pay them all as it is. And then there's others that are going to come down the pike who are even more essential than the ones who are currently up now. Um, I do love all the, you know, all the flabbergasted. I mean, you'd think David Njoku blew out both ACLs and Achilles and somehow they amputated his left arm. Right. Um, yeah, it's a concussion. Yeah, um, you know, most likely there's some sort of wrist surgery that's going to go on here. Um, I didn't hear the word amputation, so I'm not that concerned. And um, – even if he doesn't play another down this year, he comes walking in the door to start 2020 at 24. Right. Most tight ends get drafted at 23, for God's sake. So, right. I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate, but um, it's, it's not like the book is over on David Najoku. Right, yeah. And that's actually, speaking of tight ends, that is the one area there might be some help for this year out there. Oh, um, well, we, I think one of your guys just – just somehow is no longer on the Saints practice squad. Elise Mack. Yeah, Elise Mack. Yep. And, and Keenan Brown is out there. I mean, there's a lot of rookies, but even as, as far as uh, some veteran guys, I mean, Clive Walford is coming back from an injury. Um, I mean, he's not, you know, a guy that's going to set the world on fire, but had a, a really good blocking grade uh, either last year or the year before. And he's a Miami guy, so you know Alonzo is, is familiar with him. He's on the street. Um, you got uh, Indianapolis – uh, you got to wonder if Jack Doyle is, would be available for the right price. I mean, they're, they're not going to trade Ebron. He's lighting it up out there. Um, and they like um, uh, the young kid behind him. Um, no, from Alabama, yeah. Uh, uh, totally blanking on his name. So if, I'm not saying there is, but if there is a tight end that's available in Indy, might be Jack Doyle. He's a guy who'd come in and, and can contribute right away. Um, Philly's got, I think, 17 tight ends on their roster and Howie's always willing to make a deal. So there might be some immediate help if what we have in-house does not uh, uh, live up to what we need and we start making a run. You know, if, they, if, they're, if they're looking like contenders, then that's a move that you might go out and make at a, at a position like tight end. If not, I think you're right. I think they probably just wait for David to come back and they draft somebody and move on for 2020. But it, it – They've done a good job and a good enough job that even with all the injuries, they don't have great depth, but they have enough depth that if the star players play like they can, they can hang tough. And I think they're still going to win nine or 10 games and have a shot at the playoffs this year. I'm still very confident uh, in this season. And that hasn't happened for me in a long time. Yeah. I mean, look, at this point, you need the tight end position to block. If you're hoping for some right. sort of receiving ability, 
Ricky Seals Jones has a little bit of history with the Arizona ties here. Um, right. Maybe, but look, uh, is the worst thing in the world to say you're going to run some four wide receiver sets with Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, right, exactly. Rashard Higgins, and Damian Ratley? No. Look, if that's what it is, that's what it is. And you know what you need to do then? If that's the case, hurry it the hell up. Yeah. And if it's, look, if it's Baker, you go to the line, we're going to call, you've got five plays at your disposal. Look it over. What's the best? There's two runs, there's three pass plays. Whichever you like, run it. And they need to pick up the pace here. And this is the most frustrating thing is because, and Steven, obviously you know as a father, Baker right now looks like the kid you got to tell, you got to give me two minutes. You got to give me two minutes. And he looks so frustrated because it's moving at such a slow pace. That needs to end because this all revolves around him. So if he is not comfortable, then that needs to change. And the alacrity of how this offense is run is what needs to change because, and all these kids look, I mean, they're all young. They've played up tempo their entire lives. Right. We're moving at a snail's place, pace, and it's just not doing anybody any favors. Yeah, and, you know, throw Callaway into that mix that you yep. said. Here well, who will event? Yep, exactly. Who will get back in week five? Yeah, and, and if you want the blocking tight end, that's where a guy like a Clive Walford would come in. But anyway, I, exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I, I'm not concerned. <clears throat> excuse me, everybody who's been up in arms about snapping the ball with one second on the play clock. I'm not worried about that per se. I mean, Peyton Manning never snapped the ball before .004 seconds yep. for his entire 18-year career. It used to drive me bananas watching him. What's more concerning to me is the reason that it's taking that. Yep. It's because they're not getting the plays in until, you know, 15, 18 seconds left. That's it. If you get him the play at 30, and then, like you said, he's got to go up there and he's moving people around and he's checking productions and doing all this, and then they snap it at one, fine, whatever. I, I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay with that. I would like it to be faster, like you said, because I think that's basically where Baker operates the best he like our friend Jake Burns said many times during the draft process two years ago, he finds comfort in the chaos. He's, he is calm in a storm out there. Um, and so I think that really helps him. But it all revolves around getting the play in quicker. Uh, so if, if, if it's 25 seconds and they don't have the play yet, he needs to start clapping his hands at, at, at the sideline, I think. He needs to start showing a little more you know, not frustration, but like, hey, come on, let's go. Give me the damn play. Um, and then, you know, I think, like you said, things will flow smoother because these guys are used to playing that way. That's the way most of them have played. And, and it's a very young roster, like you said. Um, what we said earlier about Baker taking the, the check down plays, that can sort of be applied. The same mentality can be, be applied to the defense, too. They're trying to make the highlight real play every single play. And you can't do that. You can't. I like that we have field flippers. Uh, that's something I've, I, for years, we had no field flippers. We had guys on our defense in, in Cleveland for, for a decade who were assignment guys. They were always in the right spot. They always made the play, but we had nobody who turned the field around. Nobody would, would cause a turnover. Nobody would make a huge strip sack, something like that. Now we've got field flippers all over the place. And I'm not saying they don't know their assignments and don't play them, but they're going for the throat on every single play. You can't make a tackle in the backfield every play. Sometimes you have to assess it and go, holy crap, they got us on this one. This is going to be a seven-yard gain and be okay with that. Make the seven-yard tackle and stop them on second down because you've got guys that can do that. You've got Miles who can make a sack 
at any given time. You've got guys in the defensive backfield who can, who can turn the ball over at any given time. You got Schobert and until this week, Kirksey, who could make a hit, a strip sack. I mean, Joe did it again on Monday night. You know, he, he caused a fumble at what? The three-yard line that basically ended any hope and closed the, the final door. I mean, you've got those guys. So sometimes you just have to take the play. Like you said, they're very young and they're trying to play at light speed. And you just can't do that all the time. I think if they play within themselves, then the opportunities to make those splash plays on both sides of the ball will just naturally uh, organically present themselves. And there's enough talent on this roster to do it. And like you said, way back at the top of this interview, this uh, episode, there's enough (coughs) talent that if they do that, they can play with just about anybody in the league. They're, they're ready to make that next step. It's just a matter of getting into the right mindset for it, I think is the key to the whole thing. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, guys, uh, having Steven on is always a blast. Um, and as you guys know, we could, uh, look, I mean, went about 40 minutes in the old, uh, the old songs. I uh, went 40 minutes, we could go another 40 minute more. Um, <laughs> but they're all over my neck about the time on these things these days. And uh, Daddy Uber, duty does call. Um, at Brown's mock draft. Uh, yeah, everybody knows Steve. Steve's a fantastic guy, um, with this part of it and everything else he does in his life. Uh, sort of, a, a Renaissance guy, a little better everywhere. <laughs> dork um, is the word you're looking for. No, we're all big dorks at heart. Uh, but I always appreciate Steven, uh, finding some time here to join me here on the show. Uh, so make sure you're following, uh, Steven, obviously Brown's mock draft, you know, get your early draft fill. I know everybody, we don't want to talk draft yet. Well, some of us, we still like to do it, whether the team's good or not. We do. We enjoy that part of it. Uh, so go ahead and follow over there. The locked on Brown's Twitter account at locked on Brown's all lowercase, uh, follow back account. DMS are always open. Any questions? I understand some people don't like Twitter and you're smart in that respect. Me personally throw a follow <laughs> over at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. DMs are open, questions, topics you want on the show, or just anything you want to talk about. You know, I, I try to do the best I can to answer as many uh, for the amount of time you guys put in for, you know, the show here and what it turns out to be, you know, a daily and they say five a week and we never go five. Um, daily is pretty much usually what we do. So, um, you know, if you guys are going to do that for me, that's the least I can do for you guys. Uh, so appreciate everything here. Uh, we'll get you a pregame show tomorrow once uh, Pete and I can settle down. Obviously, hopefully the Streetsboro boys are uh, going to give Pete a good night tonight or, you know, God forbid. And as I told Steven, I said, no, no, no. Pete is the Streetsboro kids pro- uh, problem tonight, not mine. No, fr- <laughs> no Friday nights. No Friday nights. Um, so there's that. But uh, with that, we're going to put this to bed here. It's been your daily delivery of all things Oak Pound. LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns. <laughs>